Hey. Yes. And guess what I've been doing lately? I don't know. Mostly, actually, watching 30 Rock. Oh, good decision. Because I've had a bit of a rough old time, as no. we know. And um, just thank you to all the chatters for all your lovely messages about my dad dying and all that kind of stuff recently. Um, I have found that a couple of times in my life – it's hard to concentrate or focus on yeah. things. And uh, what I tend to turn to at those times are things that are already familiar and that yeah. don't really require anything yeah. from me. And so slump reading. Slump reading, exactly. <laughs> so 30 Rock for me, I remember this happened to me years and years ago when I moved to Washington and I was very, very homesick and I had underestimated how homesick yeah. I would be and how much I'd miss my friends. And what I used to watch on TV when I got home from work was Friends. Really? Which, oh, that's actually tragic. I know, it's really tragic. <laughs> on about 10 10 different levels. And I didn't even particularly like Friends as a show when it was on, you know, when it first started. Like I think it's a sort of pretty middling show. But for some reason I – it was the only thing that I found sort of – comforting because it was so familiar because you just knew what you were getting it didn't really require any effort to watch it could just wash over you and so it was just so easy and so 30 rock because it's it's not like the characters develop you don't have to keep track of the plot you could dip in and out of any episode at any time and pound for pound the funny lines just yeah Oh, my God. It's so brilliant and hilarious. And all of the characters I individually love in all of their own little ways. And so yeah, it's made me feel like if I see ever see Tina Fey, I just want to say to her, you know what, you just you got me through a really, really bad period. I love that show. It's great. And if I'm ever on an air, aircraft and I've got like half an hour, I will always, if they've got it on the thing, I'll always go and look it up and, and – I just remember absolutely consuming it when it first came out. Like any new series was just like an incredibly happy, happy day. It's just, I mean, as you know, I love Veep as you do too. And that also just has line after line where you're just howling with laughter. But Veep, uh, sorry, 30 Rock, I mean, I laughed aloud a lot during Veep. Mm. But 30 Rock, I mean, I probably laugh aloud eight to ten times per episode. And the episodes are only 22 minutes. And the and then other times I'm like you know snickering or smiling or thinking that's funny but to laugh aloud that yeah. often you know it's really something else it does absurd and clever so well oh mm. brilliant and I mean Alec Baldwin I just think is beyond brilliant I'm no I'm not saying anything insightful there but I also love um, Jack really, McBray every day kind of- I just hope and pray that he doesn't get me too I reckon if he gets me too I would just <laughs> I just really he oh. don't you reckon Alec Baldwin would be the type that would. <laughs> I don't I'm know. really delicately trying to not say that <laughs> out loud just because I don't think we have any coverage. <laughs> um, well, I mean, he I certainly. Not. I do I mean, love him. It, it's mainly just because of uh, the. God, remember that? Do you remember the that 30 call. Rock? Oh, no. Do you remember that 30 Rock where he's dating Condoleezza Rice? <laughs> <laughs> Just, no. And he's constantly taking phone calls and like he's he's never she's never named, but like it's clear that he, he keeps talking about how he's kind of dating the Secretary of State. Oh, like, that's hilarious. Oh my god. Um so funny. Jack McBrayer, I love as well, who's Kenneth. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. There was a great line the other day where I think the Tina Fey character said to him, um, you know, I've I've seen bigger chins on a premature baby. <laughs> What about every now and again he just has like a fit where he brays like a donkey? Oh, he's yeah. that actor is yeah. just hilarious. But, you know, they're all sort of – all of them are just so bloody fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, so I've been um, watching that a lot. Do you have any comfort sort of viewing or reading habits? Um, I, I've 
I read um, Jeffrey Steingarten's food essays sometimes and they're so funny and kooky and informative. Um, He's got two collections, one called It Must Have Been Something I Ate and one called The Man Who Ate Everything. Right. I like I like reading true crime when I'm really down. Yeah, it's terrible, really, because it's never cheering. Um, no, but it just it's like it's just like the it just drives of others is worse than mine. <laughs> no, so. but it just it carries you along, like yeah. it just drives you forwards. Yeah. Do you know something I found really odd? Um, so we were talking last time about the Melbourne Writers Festival, which I did a thing at this year. I went up into the green room before my event, and this woman said, "Oh, excuse me, hello, I'm Kate Kennedy," and I said. Kate Kennedy, like who's a well-known and very good writer, she wrote this book a few years back called The World Beneath, which won lots of prizes yep. um, and which I absolutely loved. She's Kate with a C. Kate with a C. Anyway, she said to me, um, oh, I'm about to actually come to the event that you're doing and I was hoping I'd bump into you because I bought a book brought a book of my poetry to give you. Which is like basically <laughs> what was your face looking like at this moment? Oh, thank because you so much. I reckon that would be a bit like, hi, hey, Lee, I just made this tuna and caper <laughs> salad for you. Where do you it was a little it? bit like that. I'll tell you where to put it. <laughs> but because I'm a fan of her, you know, I like her short stories that I no, see in the monthly like, and stuff, okay. I thought, okay, all right, I'll give it a go. Anyway, um, just to completely contradict what I just said about I can't focus on anything and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I get Kate Kennedy's book of poetry, which is called The Taste of River Water, and I thought, hmm, I'll dip into that. Anyway, I'm absolutely loving it to the degree that made me think, am I just reading, have I been reading the wrong kind of poetry all my life? <laughs> <laughs> can I read one to you? Yeah, you can. Okay. It's I'm enthralled. It's not super long, but it's. I thought it was just absolutely fantastic and it just made me think – just differently about poetry. Anyway, it's called Joy Flight. My father's stories must be provoked from him by some landslide of sorrow, a lost city's foundations revealed by shifting earth. Only after the death of two brothers does he relate some childhood moment of a Sunday after mass when a tiger moth touched down on a patch of ground offering joy flights. I see them, those three blonde boys taught with longing, that silver machine, the sky, My father remembers the sum of money required for the three boys to go up, and his own father's face closed and abashed after he asked the pilot. He turned away, and my father steeled himself for the walk home to lunch. Yet somehow his father was carrying the money, and somehow he decided. They flew. Disaster could have struck and sent my grandmother mad with grief. My grandfather would have been condemned to watch that from the ground forever. But nothing went wrong. They flew and returned safely to the earth, transformed. An awestruck moment in a poor childhood, desire made real, a stern father hiding his smile on the run home. Everyone who witnessed that event is dead now. My father handed me the story, a small recovered legacy, glinting and bright with disuse. Now I carry those three buffeted, grinning children in their Sunday clothes, hardly able to believe their luck, astonished by joy and flight. I hold this and yearn to write fiction in the face of these deaths and losses, in the face of all that is forgotten and revealed by the stark shift of pain and surprise. I want to carry this talisman carved like a rune for my father, for my uncles, for my grandfather and for that pilot, for that pure, torn open moment where they each slipped free of the earth. 
Fiction, which is the ribbon pulled from a trembling mouth, which tells its truth with such defiance that everything forgotten will blaze, every joy burnished, every recollection of unexpected flight shared and passed from hand to cupped hand, carried warm next to the skin, recited for courage. Oh, my God. That's that's extraordinary. It's brilliant. Um, and Jeez, I can see why you've been cheering yourself up with these sort of <laughs> It's just, it's like so, it's just so. The rhythm of it is is quite amazing, even though it's not a um, particularly structured poem. The the pulse of it is really interesting, I reckon. And just like the content of that was just so moving. Even, you know, there's a one that I read this morning where she talks about – playing in a pool, basically, in a yeah. kid's yard, in a Clark's two-foot-six backyard swimming pool. Um, and there was this bit about the dad. Um, Every morning in the cool he is out there, netting leaves off the surface in a gesture children do not recognise yet as love. Oh. <laughs> God. <laughs> it's just it's full of stuff like that that you just go, that is really, really good writing. So, yeah, Kate Kennedy, come oh. on down. You've converted me to poetry. This is actually – I feel like we should issue a press release of some kind. It's just fantastic. So now I just feel like – I mean, I already was a Kate Kennedy fan. Now I just want to go and, like, suck up every single um, thing that she's ever written in her life. Um, and, and luckily she – Write her wrote her email in here oh, for me. Oh, right. So can... And she wrote, she inscribed it, which is very, very clever because now you can't throw it. <laughs> actually, do you know what? I'm loving it so much. I actually had thought to myself that I would not get really? rid of it. Yep, I'm keeping wow. it. Wow. It's that's, quite a slender that's volume. That's the mark too, of, so... it's a mark of, um, wow. You mark don't even of have huge... my books or your books. Yeah, so mark of huge. That's quite amazing. Huge honour. Oh, um, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, that was really great of her to do that for me. Um, hey, <laughs> can I just, sorry, while I'm just yapping away, yeah. tell you about something else. I started watching, so years ago there was a documentary called The Staircase. Right. Have you watched it? I haven't, but I've been, I have been meaning to for about 15 years. Like my friend Heather um, went on and on and on and on when I lived in London um, about, oh, my God, you've got to watch this. It's so incredible. And I read a, a few references to it. Um, I think maybe serial or when um when these sort of true crime podcasts started to become uh, or the making a murderer. I don't know. One, yeah. one of the things that we were talking about a year or two ago, there were lots of references to the staircase, and it made me think again. I must watch that, and I still haven't. And now you have. What made uh, you? This I had. I watched it years ago, right. but it's just it's so far up your bracket. I can't even tell you because <laughs> my bracket's free at the moment. <laughs> comparatively, <laughs> it's an unjammed bracket. So. <laughs> We'll slide this in there. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, So it is – the reason it's right up your bracket is because it's what you like, which is a real-life thing where someone does a fly-on-the-wall thing and then things go just horribly pear-shaped. Yeah, Yeah. you – and also because you like legal stuff, you're going to just go just spare. I I, Like with the Americans, when I finally convinced you to watch it, I envy you knowing what's ahead watching The Staircase. So I'm not going to give any spoilers. I'll just give the premise, which is there's this guy, Michael Peterson – his wife, Kathleen, is found dead at the bottom of a staircase yep. with a lot of head injuries uh, and Michael Peterson is charged with her murder. Right. Um, now, 
it's a one of those weird cases where there's some evidence that you just think there's just no way, but then there are some amazing twists that come to light, evidence um, and various things that emerge, and you just watch the whole. Again, I'm not you know spoiling anything. Everyone who's seen the staircase, the thing you say to other people who've watched it is, do you think Michael Peterson did it? Right, okay. It's very hard, and and Michael Peterson is a very unusual sort of character. He's an odd guy who has some characteristics that really rub me the wrong way, but then he also, his children adore him and that they're sort of, you know, except for one, they're all on his side and anyway, it's fascinating. So the original The Staircase, which I think was maybe six or eight episodes, uh, eight I think, um, it was the, the filmmakers were given absolute 100% fly-on-the-wall access to the defence team. So they're in all of the defence strategy meetings and they get, you know, a lot of Michael Peterson talking to camera, blah, blah, blah. Um, At the end of that is the end of the first trial. Um, And then without spoiling it, they've now done some additional episodes um, because there's further developments in the story. Oh, right, okay. Um, Anyway, and it's just it's done just as well, and even though a lot of times elapsed, um, a so lot of players. So do I need to watch the, the first one first? And oh, then massive! Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah, percent. You yeah, have yeah, right. to, okay. and it's all on Netflix now. Right, okay. So yeah, you just started episode one, which is, would have been made in twenty eleven or right, whatever okay. it was. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is just the most riveting, um, and it's just one of those happy convergences where all of the talent's amazing, the story's fascinating, the film crew happened to be there, and yeah. it is. You just can't stop thinking about it and watching it when you get into oh, it. God. And um, the twists, All right, now yeah. the twists are just some of the most brilliant twists ever. <laughs> so you oh, got to well, watch it. That's annoying because I just started watching a new documentary series. Oh, okay. Um, but now I kind of feel like I want to jump. Horses. Well, what's the new one? And are you going to stick with it? Um, the one that I've started watching is called Wild Wild Country, mm-hmm. and it is a documentary about a um, a cult like a charismatic cult um that uh, a group that moves into this town in Oregon like in the mountains and they all wear orange and basically it's the story of how the locals respond to this completely unusual group mm. of arrivals but i can't even tell you how like the main thing at the beginning that you notice about this documentary is that it is such an incredible piece of filmmaking visually. Oh, okay. It is, it is beautiful. It's oh. just actually pleasurable to watch because of the care that's gone into the way that they've framed the interviews. It's, it's like a, Love letter to cinematography. It is. Oh. It's really striking, oh. and so seriously. Like Jeremy put it on, and within two minutes, I was like leaning forward out oh. of my chair to get close to the screen. Wow. It was just like it's extraordinary. Was this the thing that Rabe talked about? Rabe. <laughs> Did Rabe talk about? It? I can't remember. I can't remember a single thing that she said. All I can remember is the violence of my love. But is the is the visuals matched by the content? Like, is it holding your interest? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's extraordinary. It's, oh, we'll finish it off then. Don't, yeah, yeah, I will. Don't. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. um, the staircase will still be sitting. I know. There. Well, I've not watched it for fifteen years or whatever. So the other thing I've been watching, which is on ABC iView, is um, 
a show called The Split, which is a BBC show. Right. Or is it Channel 4? I can't remember. Um, my friends in London were just like, you've got to watch this. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Blah, blah, blah. Um, it's a drama. It is um, sort of a family drama, I guess. It's uh, for a mother and three daughters. The main one of the daughters is the main character. She's a they all work in family law, doing yep. marriage breakups and property right. settlements and stuff like that. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm definitely going to keep watching it. Um, I don't love it as much and as my friends. What's the story like? Oh, uh, it's sort of. Um, the father, the mother's raised the three daughters on her own and then the father shows up out of the blue after 30 oh, years of having okay, been right. absent. Um, it's sort of their personal lives but also the cases that they're working on in the law firm. I'm liking it, not loving it as much as my friends in London were raved about right, it, okay. but I'm certainly going to keep watching it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just going straight to the staircase anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Not Everything I say to you is a, moot, is a moot point now. <laughs> hey, what's that book you've been reading about Nabokov? Oh. Or as you insist on calling him Nabokov. Nabokov. Vladimir <laughs> Nabokov. Um, okay, so it's this book. Um, it's a novel, but it's modelled on Nabokov and his – see, I've just thrown you a bone there. Love. Um, <laughs> the relationship between Vladimir and um, Vera. His, his wife, Vera. And it's it's kind of – yeah. Um, so it's – it's a novel that kind of gallops along. It's quite read. It's beautifully written, um, and the storyline is about this young woman who is um, evacuated to America um, from Russia um, as a child, and um, she's um, sent to this fancy girls' school, and she um, sort of struggles a bit there to make friends, and she's eventually taken on by the school as a um, to. to to look after the gardens. And then this teacher arrives, this Russian emigre and his incredibly beautiful wife um, with whom he has a very complex, deep and emotional relationship. And um, she, they sort of develop a bit of a love triangle arrangement. And now I do not know all that much about the amatory adventures of the real Nabokov, um, but it's um, – and I don't know to what extent it's it's – really derived from fact but um the portrait of the marriage is quite um quite compelling yeah oh okay yeah it's um would you you recommend it um i didn't i I wouldn't rave about it um but i found it one of the most interesting things that i found about it is that it's it's very it's very russian you know um but the woman who wrote it isn't Russian. She's done this huge amount of research and she wants to infuse into the novel this this Russian sensibility. And I was really surprised um, to when I went and sort of looked her up. Um, her name is um, Adrienne Kelt. <laughs> <laughs> Not Rusky. <laughs> it's quite a – like it's quite a – it's quite an achievement, I think, this book. But mm. I, I, it didn't set me aflame or anything. Um, but I did, I did sort of march through it. I found it gripping, and um, right. and uh, I didn't ever um, sort of yawn. It was, um, uh, um, and as I say, beautifully written. <laughs> they should pull that for a cover blurb. No, I didn't I mean, ever I, yawn. I know, Annabelle Crab. Exactly three stars. Oh my god. <laughs> That's a shocker, isn't it? Um, I tell you what, I did that. Actually, 
grabbed me um, and just held my attention in a in an oh my god way throughout that I read recently is a book called Dope Sick. Yeah, there was an extract of it somewhere in a magazine or something, and it was one of those things where I read the extract and I went straight and bought the book straight away. Mm. So this book is about um, it's about the opioid crisis in America, and it just basically looks at the Shenandoah Valley and looks at the growth in opiate use and abuse in this quite small area. Um, and it it's absolutely mind-blowing. Like it follows um, – it's written so beautifully by a local journalist basically who's just been following this story. So you get quite attached to her. She's such a um, perceptive person and the way that she – like there's a bunch of um, – uh, dope addicts that she kind of follows and her attention is almost it's not really motherly it's just incredibly close attention you can tell that she's completely invested in these people's lives and when they have triumphs or they beat something then she's kind of right there and then when they relapse she's right she's there too so there's um, first person in it yeah right. um and she describes her interactions with the the parents of of kids who have overdosed and basically the story is that this um drug company Purdue Pharma um started really um pushing oxycontin onto doctors by and they had arrangements with doctors where they'd whisk them off for holidays and give them sort of prescribing targets and um, and really talk up the importance of um, treating pain and pain is like an epidemic that's untreated in, in America. But it also folds in with the, um, you know, the closure of the coal mines in that area and this sort of generation of people who haven't ever had work. And after a while, just um, – being prescribed and then selling excess OxyContin becomes like the craft industry of the area. Mm. So, like, there's young people who are kind of um, trading Oxys and then there's older people who are getting them prescribed and then selling them to pay their power bills, you know. It's the most just devastating socioeconomic crisis. Not, It's not just about um, addiction. It's about people's lack of of anything else to base their life on or even derive an income from. It's just horrifying, this story, right? And so she also follows um, some lawyers who are trying to sue the, the pharmaceutical company. Um, and then she also follows um, some heroin dealers because what happens is that um, the um, OxyContin becomes actually more expensive than heroin to buy. And so – people who are addicted to the opiate go for the next cheapest thing, which is um, heroin and, oh, my God. Anyway, it is it is the most shocking book, but it's also full of just really heroic characters as well. Like there's this one doctor who just runs this one-man campaign and um, there's a great nun as well. And just these people who are trying to pitch themselves against this advancing crisis. It's, yeah, it's an amazing book. It really is. It's actually, do you know what, as you've been describing it, is it made me think of a Stephen King novel. Yep. Like that's what it sounds yeah, like. It's like It or something. Like, yeah. It's just this or what's the one with the plague that and goes through? It's, it's just, um, wow. And like some the of the stand. stories – 
of these kids who have died as well because like we're, I think that the they've got amazing figures like you know 300,000 people died um you know up to 2009 or something and they think that that will double you know it it's just this advancing. Did you say 300,000? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah yeah it's like it's a huge And then you look at like mortality. say 911. Yeah. And then the amount of the billions, if not trillions, yeah. of dollars that have been spent to try to avoid future deaths from terrorism versus that, my God, that is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and it goes into a lot of detail about the way America treats um, drug addiction or opioid addiction. Um, there's a really low take-up of um, what they call MAT, which is medically assisted treatment, which is where you take a different kind of drug to get you off that drug. Um and hardly any of the drug courts send people down that road. Like there's just detention, like imprisonment is really, um, you know, option number one for people who have wow. drug-related offences. And I read it's- a, a story for The Monthly um, a few years ago now about the drug court, court at Parramatta. Oh, yeah. um, oh, and man, it was um, – Judge Roger Dive, who I think is still there, actually um, presided over it. I found it really interesting, and, and that is considered, you know, it's a, it's got bipartisan support. It's yeah. considered, you know, really good success. Um, it, it was really interesting to watch it because people would come in, and you know, obviously, prison was considered the last resort. So, you, but yeah. you were basically told if we test you or if you go off the rails, yeah. you are going to prison. And yeah. I saw people when I was there; they would come in and they'd give every excuse about yeah. oh this and that, and oh, I forgot to blah blah blah. I slept in. Dog ate my homework. And in a very kindly way, the judge would just go, okay, sorry, hand in your wallet, you know, blah, 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 yeah. take off your jewellery or whatever it was and off they'd go. Um, and they'd be escorted, you know, downstairs. But then Roger Dive had this thing where if people came in and they'd sort of met their targets, he would ask the courtroom to give them a round of applause. Yeah, right. And it was really – I talked to him in his chambers afterwards about it and because on paper it sort of seems a bit naff, but actually when you saw the reaction to people when they got a round of applause yeah. and he said, you know, for most of these people they will have not been praised like that or never had a round of yeah. applause in their life for doing yeah. anything. So he said he was just trying very hard to sort of be – you know, compassionate but also firm. Yeah. Um, and it was really interesting to sort of watch it, you know, that you, you were given this chance but if you stuffed it up then that was that, you know. So anyway, it was very interesting. I gotta go, Toots. Yeah, I gotta go too. Yeah, okay. All right. Get out of my office. Oh, actually, can I do one thing? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, Melbourne. Yes. Yeah? Jeremy said, um, <laughs> just to remind everyone that we have a live show in Melbourne coming up in November. Uh, I think it's the 15th. If you go to the Ticketek website and search for Chat 10 Looks 3, you'll find it. We've got no idea what we're gonna be doing there. We'll probably work it out on that afternoon at 3 p.m. Probably, yeah. Thank um, you for remembering to mention that because there yeah. are still some seats left, I think. There are so. still some seats left for that. Um, we are gonna have a show in Canberra in December, but Yay. we haven't got the tickets on sale yet, but we'll keep you posted on that. Um, have we got anything else? Tell my new book arrived this week. Oh, oh I got the actual hard copy of it. Oh. Any ordinary day in my hot little hands. Um, that is a great book. Yeah, we're doing a thing Not in Sydney together, actually, talking either. about that in Seymour Centre in on the 2nd of October. There are tickets available for that. Just Google Lisa Annabelle Crab Any Ordinary Day. Um, but come along to Melbourne because that should be that those shows in Melbourne last year were super fun. Yeah, they Melbourne were. audiences were great. Chris from Breakthrough has sadly moved back to Ireland now, so <laughs> probably because he might be able to do a the, number with the me. Humiliation that you visited upon him. <laughs> okay, last one. See ya. See ya.